This is the second part of my interview with actor, writer, director Michael Garland. In this part of the interview, we talk about Michael's experiences working as a stand-up comedian in the 1970s and also his experiences working in pantomime. And one of the things I think I told you before was the fact that when I left drama school, my biggest problem was stage fright. Oh, okay. I had dreadful nervousness. And so I became a stand-up because I was so nervous. I think I'd forgotten this about you. Okay. You became a stand-up. Because I was so nervous about performing on stage that I decided that this, the, the only way to deal with this is a kill or cure. So I actually wrote a whole load of stand-up, all those one-up plays you've seen me do, you know, well, you haven't seen me do them, but you've read them. All those monologues. I yes. Used to do, some of which are stand-up, some of which aren't. And I would perform those on my own, in pubs, wow. anywhere, whether they knew it or whether they didn't, I would do them. <laughs> and that basically, over a period of six years, got rid of my stage fright. Wow. So, so let me just zone in on that for a second. So you would write monologues, comic monologues, uh, and some were more stand-up than others. And yeah. you perform them by yourself, not in a yeah. comedy club situation. You by yourself in a, in a pub somewhere. Yes. <laughs> okay. And I, I did it all around England. Wow. Okay. Because I was terrified. Yeah. Wow. That 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 would do it for me. It, that would stop me from doing it. I think. And <laughs> I went. I have to get over being terrified. Wow. So I did that for about five years until I stopped being terrified. Wow. And did you, did you ever find some sort of success? Did you ever get paid oh, for yeah. this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was very good at it. Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I got very good at it. My monologues were brilliant. And if you I do was, say so yourself. <laughs> well, people would ask me back, put it that way. Right. So I would go... I would go to strange villages in Upper Mornington, come Wallop, come Witham, or wherever we were, and they'd go, we like good people here. <laughs> and I would do the piece, and they would look at me, and there'd be total silence when I finished, and I went, oh, Christ. <laughs> and, and then they'd go, so, when are you coming back? Oh, wow. You know, it, yes, it worked. Because I'd rehearsed the pieces within an inch of their lives, I knew exactly how they worked. But the thing that worried me was the nerves. Yes. And just by doing it again and again and again and again and again, in completely different situations where I constantly had to think on my feet, you know, where half the set didn't turn up or whether the set didn't fit or whether whatever it was, um, over a period of 10 years, I just got over stage fright. Wow. Because you're doing, do you, do you know what I mean? Because you're doing yeah. it in a different situation. Every time was different. Every time was new. Every time was odd. They were peculiar. They weren't expected. And I would be, I remember doing what I thought was an evening of, uh, an evening of practice at an afternoon tea and these old people said, and they were expecting me to do sing along. That did, you know, so there were many of them that didn't work. Yeah. You know, there were a whole bunch of them that went horribly wrong. Yeah, wow. And then there were others that were, were absolutely brilliant. And, and that just 
taught me to be confident in who I was doing, you know. Yeah. Get, get what you're doing right, you know. Uh, and that's the big thing I've always had now when I direct and when I'm with people is you, you know what you're doing. So, you know, you don't interfere with what other people are doing. What they're doing is fine. If you don't like it, that's a separate issue. You can just discuss about that. But, but what you don't do is go, I don't like your performance. Right. Yeah, because you're working on your own performance and you're getting that right. And as long as that works, what they're doing is none of your business. Right. And yet there are so many people that will go, oh, I don't think you're doing that right. Really? Tough. You know? Yeah. Bugger off. Yeah. You know, not your business. And it's taken me this 40 years, apparently 45 years, to go, don't care. Yeah. You, know, you have to, though. You're not paid to worry about my performance. Right. And if you're in the shows that aren't being paid, it's not their business anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, you just go, and, and um, you know, you just go, oh, I'm so sorry, and move on. But when I was younger, everybody kept telling me how to do things. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I've heard that, yeah. And you were going, oh, oh, oh. And, no, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're, you're, you're not feeling this, you're not doing that. And you went, some of, the, some of the advice I got was very good. And, you know, and you went, oh, that's good. And it wasn't that I was being temperamental. Some of the advice was really interesting. But other was not, and it was detrimental. Right, because... Because everybody's a critic, though, right? Everybody can do it. Everybody's a critic. I mean, I, I remember a really nice woman who said, she said, I love your performance. You're not thinking to the last syllable. <laughs> and there was, I, it took me about five years to work out what that meant. And I, I now absolutely know exactly what she meant. Right. She was right. Absolutely right. You know, because you've got, oh, i finished now, and you just drop the sentence fractionally before you finish. Yes. You hear a lot of that, just do it. They've got, okay, I've got the end of this, it's the end of the big speech, I'm going to drop it now. You just abandon yeah, you've got it. More, you've got four more words to go. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, do you know what that means? I do, and, yeah. And they disappear. And it's, it's interesting, you know, she, she was, you know, she's very good about things like that. And she also came up with a very lovely quote to me. And she said, she said, I don't think you totally understand the difference between your public and private versions of your character. Well, okay. And I went, which means? <laughs> I said, which means? She said, how would you... How are you with immediate members of your family and non-immediate members of your family? Are you the same? Are you different? What is it? And if you are different, what is that difference? Right. And I went, oh, oh, yes, I see. This is yeah. very interesting. Because, of course, it's to do with how much you reveal and who you reveal it to. Are you only revealing it to the audience or do people who live with know something, for example, if you're Yago, how much does Amelia know? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if so, how much does she know? Yeah. 
And and also in life, I think we're we're always different with different people, aren't we? Indeed, and you know. this is a very interesting point. And I I, I found this fascinating. And and it 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 it's it, 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 oh because they were considered to be a very yeah, I'm, I'm not considered to be the most subtle actor in the world because of course I do panto. Yeah. But actually, what I do is very sharp. It's very clear. If you watch my performances, uh, as in the designs I send you, you'll notice when I perform panto, there's always a black line around them, as in a cartoon. Black line you know around what? what? Yeah, yeah. In my performance, to make it sharp, oh, I see. there's always an, uh, 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 an imaginary black line around it against the background. Right. To stand it, or stand it out. Does that make sense? Yes. You know, whereas in plays, you can't do that. Right. A plays are plays, but in panto or in restoration or in even to a degree in wild, but you put a black line around it. Right, you do an outline. It, it, sharpens, it sharpens it up. Mm-hmm. It's just a bit, it's just a bit sharper. It's just a bit, you know, tighter. It's just a bit more Disney because People need to see exactly what you're doing. And also, again, in Panto, I think, sometimes in Wild, but certainly in Panto, you're doing a series of, of tableaus. You do a tableau, then you do another tableau, then you do another tableau, and the movement between the tableaus is very quick. Whereas in plays, you don't see that. It all molds. Right. But in, in, in sharp plays, in Restoration, in Panto, it all goes sharp, 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 sharp. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so, yes. So that you, you, you see tablets, you see pictures, and people make the shapes, and then they make another shape, and then they make another, and, and it, the meld between it is quite short. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in proper plays, you can still do the same thing, but the meld is much more, uh, much longer, it's much wider, it's much more amorphous, because you don't... For example, if you're doing Ibsen, that's not what you want at all. But nonetheless, it will work. But if you're going to do that, you know, I'm the sun, uh, the sun, the sun, the sun, if you're going to do all that stuff, it needs to come out of, it cannot, as in Panto or as in Restoration or as in even Shakespeare, it cannot come out of nowhere, it has to come out of somewhere. So you have to have kind of done that slowly. But in in Panto, we can go show. It's like cartoon. Mm. So Panto is, is fundamentally cartoon. It, yes. So my just a quick question before we move on, I, because I want to talk to you about Panto. How then you're talking about doing an, essentially a black line or an outline of your character? How do you go about doing that? Is it just you're being? Is it just being very technical? I, well, okay. There's two ways of doing this. Yes, of course it's technical, but of course you know the character backwards, sideways, inside out. Right. I've played, I've, well, well, I've played Sheriff or Merlin or whoever I've played on and off for the last 20 years. So I know them very well. It doesn't matter what the dialogue is, the character is the same. Yes. Does that makes sense? Yes. So I've got him. It's not me that's the worry, it's the lines. And this is why with certain kinds of traditions they get totally annoyed with me because I look at them and I go, no, 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 I wouldn't say that. 
Sometimes <laughs> I do that. Not, I, I, it's not a plot thing. It's not I'm saying I wouldn't do that. I'm saying I wouldn't say that. Right. And and they go, oh, oh, oh what, what do you mean? I say, no, it's just too crass. It's just too crass. Let's, let's soften it a bit. You know, this man's got style. I always think, for example, that Abenazo, the Chester of Nottingham, has huge style. Um, they might be vile, but they have style. Yes. So they can't say crap dialogue. So I, if, they, if I get given crap dialogue, I won't say it. I change it to something else. And how does that go? And, uh, oh, well, <laughs> it's interesting. You, you come to rehearsal and say, do you mind if I just change it a bit? And the director goes, initially he goes, okay. Uh, and then you do it. And they go, oh, that's quite nice, isn't it? Do you want to have a bit more? And then he, he's just eager to cut loads more out. Because you could say so much more with so much less dialogue. Yeah. And so he's going, can we cut this? I'm like, yeah. And, he, and they love me because I get my dialogue being cut. If it, if it doesn't work, if it's crap dialogue, I'll go cut it. Yeah. Cut it. Cut it. Fine. Absolutely. That's rubbish. Let's cut. Let's cut. Let's cut. And then you just and get then, on with it, right? And then they love it when I put in really weird lines. You know, and I go, well, let's do this. And, and I say, can I say this? And they say, will it work? And I say, well, we'll try it and see if it does get a laugh. Well, scrap it. And last year, I remember the director saying, I don't understand the line at all, uh, but you could have it if you like. I understand it rhythmically, I understand it linguistically, I just don't know why you're doing it. And I used to say to the princess, come with me, pom pom upon the pinnacle of my pagoda. <laughs> okay. And the audience found it hysterical. Because it's mad. And, and it also shows, I mean, I always said it shows that by that point, Abenazer had gone completely loopy. Right. You know, he, he, he was gone. And uh, the director said, well, I think that's a bit too, 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 we're only talking about it here. But nonetheless, he let me do it. Mm-hmm. And we kept it in. And, um, you know, I, I was allowed to say it was nonsense because um, it worked. Right. Well, I'll be out again. I don't know. I'm not doing it this year, so we'll find out. But you know. So when I got a question for you, when was the uh, when was your first panto? Was it straight out of uh, drama school? I can't remember. Uh, no, I think the very first panto I did was in 1976 or 77. I cannot recall. I mean, it was in Frank Highfield. And I went up and did Babes in the Wood, which is a part I've done a lot. Yep. Uh, and I did it with Frank Highfield, and no one else was particularly famous. Uh, Frank Highfield, there were a couple of very famous musical comics, Ken Roberts, and I cannot remember the name of the day, I can see it, but I can't remember. We both ended up in Last of the Summer Wine. Oh. Um, but... It was, the, it was that point, you've got to remember, this was middle 70s, so I was working with genuine musical comics. And I got asked if I would become part of a group called Dumart and Denzer, who were a flying skeleton act. So I played Little John, 
Key Richard Reinhardt and D. Martin Denzer. Uh, I worked with D. Martin Denzer, and with D. Martin Denzer, I was a flying skeleton. Wow, okay. And that was fab. And that, that's a lot of blacks work, right? So you're all in oh, black. Yeah, blacks work. Oh, yeah. And we started rehearsals at the beginning of November, and we finished the pantomime on the 1st of April. Wow. That's a long run. Long bloody run. <laughs> long bloody run. I did two shows like that. No, three. I did Sunderland, Bristol, and Edinburgh like that. And in the old days, that's how Pantos worked. And then I went abroad, and when I came back, Pantos weren't like that anymore. How long were you abroad for, then? A year. Only oh, wow. a year. But it's all changed. Wow. Hey, and that, yeah. So that so that fir, that first panto, Babes in the Wood. Yeah, sorry. Just so I'm clear, you do you were doing the black skeleton work in that show, or was that separate? Yeah, yeah. So you had the whole ultraviolet light and all that sort of jazz. Ultra, uh, ultraviolet light, all sorts of tricks. Right, because we we had something similar. We did. I told you before that we did. Uh, I was in the Bar Humbug, which is a, a panto version of Christmas Carol. Did that a few years yeah. ago, and there was a sequence in uh, like that in that show. Well, we had we, 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 we had the costumes that we were given were based in sometimes chemical, so that we used to have to sit in this light for about 20 minutes before we went on stage. Oh, wow. And then we sat in this room, and then we went on and did it. There were also 14 dancers, and they would take our fingers off and our hands off. And it was a tremendous act. Um, you, the, the costumes you, you were using for the, these... Uh... The, the blacks and the skeleton work um, oh, yeah. had chemicals that had to be activated. Is that I, right? I, I, it's a very long time ago. I mean, we're talking 1977. I have no idea because they wouldn't tell us how it worked. It was a very deep secret. It's been the same act for years and 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 years. Now, I'll tell you, Gladys Dumas, was a Cochrane young lady. Now you look them up. Now Cochrane young ladies were in the reviews in theatres in London in the 1920s. Wow. And she was the last one. And she was about 87 when I worked with her. And how are you spelling that? Is that C O C H R A N? Cochrane, C O C H R A N. Cochrane. He did these huge reviews in London. Now she was a Cochrane young lady, and and the skeleton act was very famous, and it was famous all the way through the thirties and the forties and the fifties and the sixties, and I was in the very early part of the seventies, and it was just as it were on its final legs. All those strange musical acts, I still worked with. Wow. But of course, Music Hall was dying, and they were still there, but only just. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, as my knowledge is, my understanding is, in the US, it was pretty much over. It was more, it was more burlesque, you know, vaudeville. Yeah, well, burlesque, burlesque came in the early 50s. Yeah. And burlesque killed vaudeville. Yeah. And the point was that Music Hall staggered through... And what they tried to do, and if you see films, you'll see, they tried to combine musical with the Beatles or, you know, they would yeah. put them in. Yeah. And it didn't work. Um, and it sort of killed it. 
And of course, the point was that television killed it in as much that if you're somebody like Morecambe and Wise or whoever it was, you had routines. But the point was that on theatre, you only needed two, yes. three routines. Once you got onto television, you needed millions. And this was a jump that most of them couldn't make. Right. Most of them couldn't make. I mean, most of them were a single act dad. Yeah. And uh, they went round from theatre to theatre to theatre. And when they came back to the same theatre again, it was five years later. Yes. Everybody went, oh, that's lovely to see them again. You know, I remember right. seeing you last time. How lovely. Um, and television killed that. And, and suddenly it, it, it was all doing it much, 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 much faster. Right. And... Yeah, I mean, all those glorious insane Pavlov puppets, interestingly enough, were a group that I worked with three times. Pavlov's puppets. And I, I worked with them first. I can't remember what the first is I worked with them. The second theatre I worked with them was the Bristol Hipster, and I did Bent in the Wood with King Davidson in the very late 70s. Mm-hmm. And then. I did a mammoth jump in the beginning of about 1990. I suddenly got called in to redirect the production of Aladdin, I think, and a, a bloody pile of puppets. <laughs> you know, and I went, it's the same bloody people. <laughs> and they, they're the people that shared the dressing room next door to me, you know. And yeah. Go, oh, my God, hello, Brenda. You know, and she, yeah. she's going, oh, it's very odd, you know. Um, so how they kept going, and the, the act hadn't changed at all. It's exactly the same act I've seen in 1977. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, uh, well, I mean, it's great to act. Had nothing to do with Aladdin. I had no idea what it was doing in the show. Yeah. But then in, uh, they were in Robin Hood and Babies in the Woods, which in Davidson they had nothing to do with that either. So, you know, I never did quite work yes. out why they were there. So um, when, when was the first time you played Dame? Can you? Oh, oh! Now that's an interesting question. I think, I think the first time I played games was I was doing another show, and Kudos phoned me up. Yes. And okay, I think it was their summer tour, and I did it for a couple of weeks. And I, I, I just took over and found, did Dame. And then the following year, they asked me to do Ugly Sister. And the following year after that, they asked me to do Widow 20. So I did it for them for three years. Oh, no. The first year was a bit spiky because I, I wasn't supposed to be there. So I only yes. did it for about, after the 26-week season, I think I did two weeks. Right. And then they turned me back the following year and I did the whole 26-week season. And then I did the following year and I did another 26-week Nice. So I did the whole of the summer Cuba's Panto thing to Spain. But management much preferred me as villain. So I tended to do villain. But, as you know, I'm sure I told you this, more or less on Boxing Day, I'm sitting there, you know, eating a mince pie, watching bad TV. When was this? And the phone, and the phone goes, and they want me to do Ugly Sister in... Wherever it was, Oldham. And, and I had a day. When was that? Oh, about three years ago. Oh, wow. 
so literally they phoned me up and they said the ugly sisters dropped dead which oh, was true jesus and uh dropped dead on boxing day in the morning at about seven o'clock and i was phoned up that day and of course the travel was hopeless so yeah. i went up the next day next day was tuesday and i was on stage wednesday morning wow uh, and that was deeply bizarre. Uh, and the only way it worked was the only way it could work was I said, listen, um, I'm going to rewrite the whole thing because none of us know what we're doing. I mean, the other sister, uh, both sisters are now missing, uh, cause the second sister wouldn't do it without the first one. Wow. Okay. Cause he was too traumatized. So they put somebody else in as the second sister who was the stage manager. And I said, so you don't know what you're doing either, do you? And he went, no. I said, right, so let's scrap the script. Let's just get rid of the script because we don't know what it is. You don't know. I don't know. So I'm going to write a new one. And we're going to learn it overnight. Wow. Okay. So I wrote a completely new script. We learned it overnight. And we went on at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock next morning. And we pretty much got it right. Wow. But we slotted it in to the existing show. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we, all the stuff that we did was new, but the, the, the how it fitted in with everybody else connected up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you have to be quite careful when you do that. And you, you make sure that everybody's lines fit, and even if you give a different cue, the lines all work. And then yeah. you said, right, I've got... I've got, and there was one scene with the Cinderella, and we kept the version that they'd done for about two days, and I went, no, I really don't like this. Um, and I said to the Cinderella, look, I'm going to rewrite the scene completely, do you mind? <laughs> no, and I rewrote it, and we redid it, and it was much better. Mm-hmm. And the singers went, oh, yes. And I said, you just go, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Just do, you know, react as you normally would. If, if, if you've got two mad transvestite people standing in front of you ripping up your ticket uh, to go to a ball, you know, don't go, oh, listen, I'm just going to go and make a cup of cocoa. You know, you, you, you need to react properly to this. Yeah. And uh, she was fabulous. The girl playing singers was just wonderful. And she was a brilliant reactor. She had no lines, but she reacted beautifully. And the whole trick to it was we gave her the ticket and we said, right, you can have the ticket. Here it is. Uh, you can have it if you want to do anything we ask. You've got the ticket. Have you got the ticket? Yes. You're sure the ticket is yours? Yes. You surely agree to do anything you ask? Yes, good, tear it up. <laughs> right. Oh, of course, once you set that up, it's fabulous. It's not, the, the audience is going to scream their heads off. Yeah. And, and, and I just said, we just play. We just play. There's no dialogue here. This is the setup. We just play. Go for it. Guys, go scream. You scream no. We scream yes. We do all this stuff. We do it about four or five times over four or five shows. We get a shape. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And she said, she said, it's working with you. She said, he's totally terrified. <laughs> she said, you just suddenly decided to rewrite an entire scene, but with no dialogue. And I just said, well, you just feel it. Let's see how it goes. Let's just see how it goes. But it was wonderful. And she said, she said it was great. 
And it did work, right? She used to stitch it. She would literally scream on the floor. We used to tear the ticket out and throw it on the floor, and she would scream. <laughs> wow. You know, because you know, she really got into it. We all got into it, seriously, into it. And I said, tear it out! All that nonsense. And she was going, no, 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 all that nonsense. It was great. Yeah. We loved it. But there was no dialogue. Wow. We hadn't any written dialogue back. And, and I just said, you know, let's just see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And I just would say to others, you don't come on until we've said this. And you don't do anything until we've said that. Right. And at this bit here, we're improvised. And we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. Nice. And, of course, over, you know, we did 47, 72, 85 performances. Of course it settled down. Of course it stopped being improvised. It, it became settled. Yeah. But we found it. Within, within the situation of performance, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the girl was just like going, oh my God, this is terrifying. <laughs> she said, you scared the shit out of me. I said, well, of course you do that. I found it. You know. Um, so, I got it. We, we literally had two days rehearsal. Well, no, we didn't even have two days rehearsal. We had, I think I had an hour and a half. Yeah. And I didn't think poor old Colin had anything at all. Um, Colin came in the next day to go second sister and he saw me and he saw the spot which I was doing with the stage manager at that point who wasn't getting it right and he he came in and he said yes I've seen the spot but that line's wrong that line's wrong that line's wrong that line's wrong and I said well you can get them right he said nonetheless the lines are wrong and then he did the different lines that he wanted to do and they were much better and I went oh no that's fine yeah absolutely We'll use those. Hmm. And then between us, we just went click, click, bing, bing, bong, well, crash. And within two days, we were absolutely bang on. Right. And if you can imagine that Wednesday, they had no one. Thursday, I did the first show. Friday, Colin came in. By Sunday, we put all the costumes in and everything. So Colin then was the second... Ugly sister. Colin who... was the second sister. He came in after I did. And we literally revamped the whole thing. And I said, listen, we haven't, we, there's no way we can do the costume changes. Despite the fact there weren't any costumes because the other sisters had taken them with them and we didn't have any because no one had told us to bring them. Yeah. So uh, we came and we did the first show with whatever costumes we could find. I phoned all my friends up and we kept sending costumes. Wow. So all these costumes kept arriving in boxes. And we had loads and loads of boxes. We had loads of costumes by the end. It was rather, rather wonderful. We, we used to sit there and go, which one do you want to wear today? <laughs> Jim, you know, which, which one should we have? And we used to scare people by wearing a totally different one. Um, and we, we had number time. But we, by the time we got to Sunday, yeah. which is show four, no, show six, we had actually put all the costume changes in. Wow. Which we'd never rehearsed. Mm-hmm. And, and he would come running up, he'd say, have we got time for a costume change? I went, yeah, I think so. He'd say, well, let's try it and see if we get it right. And we'd run off and put another fast on and run on again. And sometimes we got it right and sometimes we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was good fun. I mean, he was great. He was a great performer. I love working for Colin. He was a host. But he put Gagin, he put Luke of Gagin, and not tell me. 
And I would go and say, and he'd put one in and look at me and I'd, and he'd go, are you going to play with this? And I'd go, okay, I'm going to attack this one. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, was, that, was, that was the game, really. So if, now I've played Dame once. <clears throat> um, I did, uh, like I said to you earlier, I did Bar Humbug. Now, yeah. so what would be your, I, I'm interested to know your advice. Now I saw as part of our research for the show, I got to see the pantomime documentary, uh, the pantomime Dame, uh, the one with Terry Scott and Billy Dainty. Oh, yeah, it's a brilliant documentary. Yeah, I saw brilliant. that. So, so then pan, so the pantomime Dame then is it's man plus woman, right? You always play a man in a frock. Right. You never do a drag queen. So how is it, how is it different from drag, though? Entirely different from drag. It's entirely different from drag. The audience always must know you're a bloke. It's absolutely vital. Even from the moment you start, the audience know you're a bloke in a frock. You're not a drag queen. So not a drag queen. So what's what's the difference between the two? Because that documentary was talking about, I think it was um, Don Inman was saying drag queens have more glitter. It's weight. Weight? It's about weight. Fundamentally, Dave's are Abernathy and a frock. Okay. I mean, that's why Dave's and villains can flop across. Because you're playing it more or less the same. And you've got that huge voice. You know, I always play it with the voice of a fog on when I play a game. Right. You know, and if, if some poor bastard gets picked out by me in the audience, he's dead, he's imminent. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If I look at the audience and think, oh, hello, mm-hmm. you're nice, I like you. Do you come here often? The, the man's dead. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and it's, 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 it's a bloke in a dress. Um, and it's a very interesting twist because I'm not sure. If it's too camp, it doesn't work. If it's too butch, it doesn't work. Right. So you've it's not, get the balance right. it's not you've female. Get the balance. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, you've got to get the balance right. It, it, it is incredibly camp, but in a theatrical way and not in an effeminate way. So it's not female impersonation then? No, not really. Okay. And again, that's, that's very difficult to describe. So you can go, you can, you've walked on stage and somebody said something and you go, oh, you are lovely when you're angry. But he's still a bloke. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, if, it, if it's done like a drag queen, the only drag queen that get away, Lily Savage will get away with it because this is, there is a massively, massively masculine edge to that. Right. Um, but it's very tricky with drag queens because if they become too draggy, it becomes really unpleasant. Okay. Why does it become um, unpleasant? Whereas, you know, I just worked with a, a lovely guy last year who was the most fabulous thing, but very soft-edged, very delicate, very lovely, very charming, um, but worked perfectly. 
so it, it, it's 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 very difficult to to pin down as to why games work. Right. Some some do, some don't. It, it's very odd. I think myself that the less aggressive you are, the better. Okay. But nonetheless, um, aggressiveness is very funny. Right. You know, if you use it in the right way, um, and, and I, I always do. I always do. Middle-aged, overweight northern women leaning over a garden hedge somewhere in Stanthorpe, talking to their neighbour. So, like the uh, the Les Dawson character. I I bet that that's that's my kind of game. Others are different, um, yes. but. I mean, Joe last year was so deceptively sweet because he would say dreadful things in this lovely kind of sweet way. Yeah, I, I remember him him saying he said all time to her, ladies and gentlemen, time to her. I mean, look, look over there. You see over there. You see that teacher over there. She hasn't got enough money. No, no, you should see her on a Saturday evening whacking her unders against the, against the bollards to do the washing. No, you have to take her off first, look. <laughs> <laughs> and dreadful things, you know. Um, I would never say, I was never as rude as Joe was, but Joe's much gentler as a Dane than I was. Right. My Dane is much rougher than his. But I wouldn't say he was outrageous. He become a member of the audience. I mean, I used to do certain things. I mean, I I, I would be in full flood, and I would suddenly go, I go, oh, that lovely jumper, that's nice. I didn't know that retro colour was coming back. (laughs) (laughs) No, and it's just all that nonsense. Yeah. So am I, um, if, if I'm, say I'm doing it this Christmas, I'm not, but say I am, um, am I, am I keeping a beard? Oh, no. No beard. No beard. Beards are wrong, wrong, wrong. Beards are drag queen. Right. Okay. Beards well, are horrible and wrong and never should be allowed. <laughs> I'm glad no. you're on the fence about that. No, absolutely not. No, yes. I am. I am deeply indecisive about that point, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, um, no, it's wrong. That's drag queen. That's so strange. American drag queens would do. And so, also, then it's not. You know, how do you differentiate the dame from someone who's transgender? I mean, it's not <sighs> because you're not. It's not satirizing transgender people, right? No. This is Americans getting it completely fucked up. You are doing a certain kind and, and, and it's actually dangerous incredibly specific. They actually are a certain kind of northern most things should be northern. Okay. Northern and they English. are a certain kind of northern woman who lean over the garden gate boat. I'm not one to gossip. I mean, you know me, I never got it, but did you hear? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And they're leaning there with the boobs, leaning on the garden fence. 
because they're too big. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that. I mean, these women have gone now. Yeah. These are 1940s, 1930s, 30s women. I don't think the Americans ever had them. Right. And they're, they're over, over-endowed and over... I mean, we, we couldn't get them right now because the similar women now are not less funny, are, are, are not as funny and are not, are not as pleasant. That these women were sort of the earth and actually quite nice. Yes. All underneath all that roughness. Mm-hmm. Whereas their equivalents these days are not as nice, and that, of course, is the problem. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got a lot of theatres saying, oh, no, let's have them played by men, but it doesn't work. You know, you can't say the stuff that well, you say as a dame. But you mean, you mean dame played by women? Yeah. You just can't do it. It just sounds horrible. Right. Because it, 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 the sexual innuendo... I mean, for example, in in Bates in the Wood, I will come running on. At one point, I go, do you know, it's not even lunchtime. I've got not a sausage bread. And now I look at you and go, what? <laughs> I said, well, I tried vegetarian, but it's just not for me. <laughs> you haven't said anything. Me? And you let, you let them oh. do what, make up whatever they make up, you see. Yes, you, you leave the gap for them to think. Indeed. And, and that's what you do all the time with them. They say the most outrageous things. I, I remember saying a thing a couple of years ago, and I, went, and I looked at the guy and I went, Hello, Captain. Do you know you haven't lived and tasted, tasted the succulents of my apple turnover? <laughs> There is nothing wrong in that remark. Yes. But yeah, yeah. we got we got done for indecency on that line. <laughs> and I pointed out there was nothing indecent about it. Yeah. Because it's the intention or what you it's interpret. Entirely what you and therefore the indecency is not in the, the performers remit, it's in the audiences. Yeah. No, and 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 um, I quite like that. No, and and just to um, I always get a bit a bit dumb because I quite like quite racy pantry, but I never ever write anything that's filthy. Right, I like I like stuff that's just a bit round the edges. My favourite line has always been when somebody comes up to them and goes, Madam, and she goes, it was never proved. <laughs> but it's that quick. Yes. If you get it, you get it, and if you don't, you don't. Yes. So would you, yeah. would you say then that the, the, the dame is essentially a member of the audience? In that they the audience can see a you know, they, they have a friend or they have someone they can connect to they, on the it, stage. It, she is a friend of the audience. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I do things like I will come up to them and I go, you're enjoying this, are you? Are you having fun? Do you know I wish I was sitting there with you? I do, because I don't like being on stage, me. I'm very shy. I'm very shy. Do you know I've got the coconuts to prove it? <laughs> And that kind of stuff. Yes. 
so you become yes you become their mate right and sometimes you become their enemy okay you know, and you go, you go, now, now, listen, you've got to work here. You know, I'm not having all this. Can you smile? Come on, smile. Smile. So she said, no, love, don't take him out. <laughs> and so what about the makeup? Are we, is the, is it, you know, uh, like a, like a woman or are we talking no. clown? No, no, it's clown. Got it. Think clown, much more than woman. Clown, uh, if you talk from the top down, you've got arched eyebrows, you've got a white line under the eyebrows, you've got a blue line under that, then you've got false eyelashes to do the eyes. Uh, this is, this is um, depending on your day. Some don't have them, some don't. Um, the nose has got a red blob on it, i.e. clown. Lips are bigger. There's a red blob on the chin, i.e. clown, red cheeks. So it's half a clown, half a woman. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And you so all... Sorry. And it's much more clowny than woman, really. Yeah. That's the difference. And if you are wearing false eyelashes, they have to be big. You know, if I'm going to wear false eyelashes as a day then they're sober with dangly barrels on or something. <laughs> right, right. You know, yes. they're not normal, they're not just for eyelashes. Because that turns into drag queen. Yeah. And so you change your the your wig and your costume throughout the show, right? Every entrance. Every entrance, wow. Every entrance. Every entrance is a different frock, it's a different wig. Why is a that? Different and different shoes. And even when, even when you, um, even if you are going, you know, here we are on the Himalayas and we've climbed 42 miles and we've got no food, you know, and you've, you've done that at the end of one scene, you've done that another another scene, but you're in a completely different outfit. Right. Um, and I, I did that once and somebody said, what do you mean? You've changed. I said, a girl's got standards. Ha! <clears throat> so why do you change your costume on every because entrance it's, it's tradition and it's funny got it and okay. ideally you make the costumes as absurd as you can so yep. each one becomes more absurd than the one before I mean when I did it working to laugh when I came on wrecked from the desert island <laughs> I had a six foot long blonde wig with a kimono what? <laughs> so that the wig was a lady to dive a wig that actually touched the floor. Wow. Um, and you're and you're what six three? I am six three. Right. It was it was huge. Wow. Uh, it, was a, it was a bloody bugger of a wig. It didn't last. Um, you know, uh, we had to, fortunately it only cost sixteen pounds, so I had to change it every week. <laughs> it just it just didn't last. Uh, but it was stunning. So it, it looked, you would walk on stage and this wig just went all the way down to the ground. And I was in a sea green kimono. Wow. And I went, you know, and, and the, the and the gag was, uh, everybody else said, uh, I'm the only one saved from the wreck. I'm the only one saved from the wreck. Uh, 
And I used to come and I said, I'm the only back that's been saved. <laughs> you know, and, and walk on. In this amazing outfit. You know. Yeah. And, of course, it's a huge laugh. Why wouldn't it? You know. Right. Blonde hair right the way down to the ground. Good visual gag. A good visual gag, you know. And, and, and there's, a, there's a lot. There's, there's a great thing about Danes. Danes, Danes always say, walk on, shut off the frock, walk off. Show off the frock. Walk on, show off the frock, walk yeah. off. You know. Yeah. Because um, if they if they get really decent frocks, and then the whole question, you know, the pro show of when the frocks arrive, particularly if the company making them, as to is it right for the scene? What is it that is required in the scene? What are you required to do? Certain scenes require frocks that work. In other words, you have to manoeuvre. Other things require frocks that you don't have to manoeuvre, you just stand there. Right. So if you've got a standing there frock, you can allow it to be slightly more, shall we say, glamorous got or it. ridiculous. But if it's a working frock, if it's like releasing Robin from arrows or if you're doing something sensible, then of course you can't have a frock that's the shape of a washing machine. <laughs> you see what I mean? I so you have to actually work out uh, when you get these costumes that they don't prevent you from being able to do what you do. Yes. But give you the maximum, the maximum visual stun element, you know. Yes. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, that doesn't always work out because wardrobe people sometimes come up with some very weird ideas and go, no, I actually can't move in that. But right. this I can move in, so can you swap them across? You know? And and do you keep your costumes? You do you have a collection of them? I have a collection of them. Yes, I have um, in my in my house. I have all my game costumes. Right. No, not all of them. Some of them I gave back, which I wish I hadn't. Right. There's a couple. There's about six of the ugly sister costumes I wish I'd not given back because they are. Fabulous, and I just wish I kept them, but they were huge. And so, do you enormous? And so, do you then, if you're doing a show and you're playing Dame, do you use your own costumes or do you rely on a designer? No, you use your own, you use your own again and again and again. So, my rule is if I'm playing for Dame professionally, I would usually buy two new ones to add to the collection so that. I mean, most of this is going to see them anyway, so it's not an issue. But here, of course, this is why I only do game over two years here, because otherwise they see the costumes again and again and again. In Oxford, you mean? It's the amateur lot. Right, right. So with the amateur lot, I buy, again, a new costume every year. But So by the time they see me again as game, the costumes appear to be different, but they're not. They're the same, if you see what I mean. Right. Because otherwise they, and of course they always ask me to lend them. So of course the other games have worn them as well. Right. But I tend to mix the wigs up, and so they don't look entirely the same. But but there's an amazing thing: a different actor and a different a different actor in the same frog doesn't look the same. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Same wig, same costume. Same layout, same shoes, but a different actor in it, nobody notices. Wow. Fascinating.
Because so, I'm much, I, I, understandably, I suppose, compared to Amazon Jones, I'm much beefier, I'm much spookier, I'm much like, yeah. you know, give me, a, give me an hour, give me an hour, what's that spell stuff? And, um, I mean, last year's thing, what did he ask for? Oh, he asked for a song, he asked Keep Young and Beautiful. And I and they said, well, do you want songs here? And I said, well, only if you want one. But I tell you what, if we do it, we could do Raining Men. Right. Which is, if you see, it's completely different. Onus. Yeah. No. New attitude. So, yeah, it's just it's just me yelling my head off badly. Yes. So I'm not good at singing, but I can make a noise. So if you sing, it's Raining Men at the top of my voice. And what I've said is I want girlies with umbrellas with action now strings on all strings and umbrellas. <laughs> what do you think? I think that would be totally funny. Oh, yeah, that, that sounds great. That's a very, very good visual. Yeah. You know, maybe an underpants or maybe, and, you know, that probably might be too much if they're too young. But I just, lo- I just think that would be terribly funny. Yes. Yeah. I think so. And I've, I've done a, a gag I've already put in for this year's Fanto, which uh, they've already agreed to, which is uh, we always do a ballet in that too. Oh, which Fanto is this? Uh, it doesn't matter. In any Fanto, there's always a ballet. <laughs> in that okay. Too. And they said, oh, can we get rid of the ballet because the kids don't like it and they can't do it? And that's true, they're quite bad. <laughs> so I said, all right. This is how it works this year. We do the ballet music. The day comes on in the full ballet tutu sets herself up to go and somebody else comes on and goes I'm sorry he goes what we've cut it what we've cut it what do you mean we've cut it we've cut it we've cut it we've cut it I don't know I go away for six weeks to a proper panto and they've changed everything (laughs) (laughs) and you stomp off (laughs) (laughs) I think that's quite funny yeah I think so (laughs) because I love that absurdity yes you know it's, 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 uh, you know, last year, the similar gags we did last time we did the same pattern was we had the proper ballet, we brought all the kids on, we did the ballet, and then just at the end, we brought in the quarter ballet, and they were all overweight men. Huh. In tutus. Mm-hmm. Who did, but they learnt the ballet perfectly, they did all the arms and everything, but they were all about 15 stone. Wow. It's the only thing they did in the ballet. They were all the stage crew. Yes. And they were, uh, even people, we had six, six of them. And they were all between 15 and 18, so. <laughs> Wow. Which is terribly funny. Yes. Just these bit, and they couldn't dance in time, of course. Right. And we had this wonderful bit with this, this girly dance at the front, doing a stuff on point. And she grabbed the arm of the guy in front and put it in the right position. And he kind of stared at her. Hmm. It was very sweet. Um, so it's a similar idea. Really. Right. And there's, um, and there's a specific costume hire place that you use? No, you I from? tend to. No, I tend to just gather from wherever. I just... Uh, eBay is really good. eBay and Amazon are really good. You can get really good props from there now. And you look at the frock and you go, yes, that's nice, or no, that isn't, or maybe that's okay. And, and some you make, some you buy, right. some I hire, some I phone up friends, 
to say if I can borrow something. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I, I, I don't use. There's a couple of costume hire places, but they're not always that brilliant. Okay. You no, know, they're a bit. Because um, of course you don't have any of this in America, so you've got none of this. No. Stuff. I have to say, when I give the money, I had yes. two companies in America whose names I now can't remember, who were absolutely brilliant and sent me almost all the stuff I wanted. Wow, that's great. And um, I had... Because uh, uh, you, you remember the mummy piece. And I, I said, look, do you by any chance have any ancient hieroglyphic tablecloths or sheets or anything? And then I said, well, he said, no, you don't, but leave it with me because I'm interested in this because I'm thinking of getting this from my shop and he phoned me up two days later and said I found a place in China they do do it I'm going to order it from my shop do you want me to order it for you as well? Oh. Yeah, absolutely and he said it will be there in a week it was there in the next day Wow It just arrived and it cost me eight quid What? And I phoned him up and I said it's eight quid are you sure that's right? And he went well you help me out he said, I'm, I've got all this extra stuff in my shop now, it's brilliant. And I didn't know where to find it, and you made me look for it. So, no, you know, fine, have it. They're welcome. Wow. And I went, oh, my God. And then I, I turned up another shop in America, and I said, look, I'm looking for Edwardian frock coats, and you do them. He said, yes, we do. And I said, well, I'd like three, please. And he said, uh, if you put our name forward, we'll send you two, give you one free. Wow. And I went, fine. So I paid 80 quid, got three frock coats within a week, absolutely brilliant, perfectly brilliant, and all these people in America are really good. Yeah. I love, I love them, because they're just really keen and really helpful, and they send you this stuff, and it's perfectly made. The material's not great, you know, it's all made out of polyester or whatever it's made out of. Yeah. But it looks right, you know, and it's yeah. perfect for stage work. I mean, and, it, it, and it's this shop in, in San Diego that does formal wear. It's all, it's all it does. So, for example, if you wanted a dinner jacket entirely in Highland colours, yes, it would do that for you. It's very and niche. It would, make, it would make it for you. Yeah. But not for much money, 100 quid or something. Wow. And you go, this is extraordinary. It's... it's it's the, uh, one of the things that's caused this is the advent of steampunk. Yes, that's right. And yeah. because of steampunk, you can get the most outrageous clothing for very little money. Yeah. And very well made. Yeah. Really well made. Not badly made at all. You know, not cheap or crap. Mm-hmm. But really nice stuff. I've got about five brocade coats now uh, at about 80 quid each. Wow. Of, of different colours. So, you know, on Halloween, I can, I can literally wander from pub to pub and change colours I go from venue to venue. <laughs> uh, I actually do. So, um, what I, uh, another thing I wanted to ask you, Michael, um, we, we were talking about the dame. Now, you've also played Ugly Sister, which is essentially like a, a, a mean or nasty version of the dame, right? It's a de- but this gets more into drag queen area. Got it, okay. This is much nearer drag queen than, than Dame is. Dame, remember, is mother. Dame is warmer, mm-hmm. bigger, 
rounder. Ugly sisters are thinner, not necessarily. I mean, you can have a fat ugly sister, of course you can. But but the, the, if you think of the concept, they are not mothers. Right. So they have no. The whole Dane issue is the fact that that that, that they are desperate to do anything there for their son, stroke, principal boy, whoever it is, mm-hmm. and that's where it all goes wrong. Uh, and this is only overrided by the fact that they want to get as many men as possible. Right. Now, ugly sister, yes, they still want to get as many men as possible, and would you forgive me that there appears to be somebody at my door? Would you hold from me? Yes. This marks the end of the second part of my interview with Michael Garland. In the third and final part of my interview, we talk about the difference between Pantomime Dame and the role of the ugly sisters from Cinderella, and also we talk about the role of the pantomime villain. If you're interested in listening to that interview, you can probably find it on the podcast platform of your choice, or if not, you can find it on our website, comedyqna.com. That's the word comedy, the letter Q, the letter N, the letter A.com. Thanks very much for listening. Music